is August 30th, 2020, and this is Sam Walking in the World, episode 18. Now, I got some good stuff for you today. Made myself laugh again this morning. Uh, quickly, here's what's coming up. Uh, stupid stuff, I'm going to talk about uh, a little driving point that I've noticed um, in drivers, and I'm going to share that with you. Kind of stupid. Um, and happy in a sense, I'm going to talk quickly about an, um, an OCD check. Um, it's got to do with short people and pants. And in lifey stuff, um, I'm going to talk about how now I know for sure that I'm counted as old. I've gotten enough reminders, and uh, I guess I just have to give in to the idea. Those of you who have already admitted that you're old will um, understand. I guess I'm kind of a rookie coming to acceptance. Um, I'm going to put my teacher hat on, but not for any kind of corrections or anything, but just to share uh, something that I think is really funny and fun, actually, uh, about teaching middle school kids. The school's coming back around, and middle school kids uh, are, are a trip. And uh, there's one specific thing I'm thinking of that uh, I will share with you. And then in larger things, I'm going to talk about um, the concept of the unequal distribution of wealth. Um, the the kind of re-legitimizing of socialism, the idea of socialism, especially um, democratic socialism, and whether or not that's really possible. It's possible to have socialism in a democratic system. I know that might sound boring, but it is a bit topical, so maybe you'll stay with me for that. Um, okay, so let me get right to stupid stuff. I'm sorry, first of all, you probably hear birds outside. Um, I could get up right now and close the door, but I'm not going to. Uh, maybe I'll do it after the first break, so sorry about that. Anyway, stupid stuff. Okay, I've noticed this, and this might be part of my OCD too, so I guess I could have put it anywhere in the show. But um, if you're right-handed, you should put your washing machine on the left. If you have a separate washing machine and, and closed dryer, mine is the other way. And it would be too big of a pain in the butt to switch them. So I'm just dealing with the fact that my washing machine is on the right. What that means is if I'm right-handed, every time I pull all of the clothes that are wet and kind of heavy out of the washing machine, I have to like transfer them into my left hand and then throw them with my weaker hand into the dryer. I suppose I could just pull them all out and put them in a hamper and then slide it over and put them into the dryer with my right hand. But nobody ever does that. You grab them handfuls at a time, which is a very awkward and unwieldy act. Taking wet clothes out of the washer and putting them in the dryer. And it just, I feel like it would just make the whole thing a lot less annoying if I could just take them out of the washing machine, which is on the left, and then just move my arm to the right with my strong hand and throw them into the dryer with my right hand and slap the door shut. But I don't. So if you're yet to put your washer and dryer in and they are separate units and you're right-handed, put your washing machine on the left. If you're left-handed, put your washing machine on the right. And like I said, as promised, that was stupid. Also in stupid stuff, uh, I noticed this about driving. Now, I'm going to try and create a visual for you so you can understand the situation on the road that I'm talking about. But here it is. Imagine you're driving on a street. And you have um, the right of way, but there's an intersection coming up where there's a right-hand turn. Like a road is coming from the right, entering your road. And say they have a stop sign. 
So you see them coming up, sitting at the stop sign on your right. You can either go right before the car, or you can go straight in front of them, cross them with the right of way while they wait. I try to be a, a communicative driver. In other words, I try to send messages, signals, about what I plan on doing. So I don't inconvenience people. And But there, I noticed distinctly that there are two kind of people sitting at these stop signs where they might have to wait for a car to cross in front of them or it might turn right before them, in which case it would not interfere with their right of way. There are those people who say I'm 50 yards out, I'm starting to slow down, I put my right turn signal on because I'm going to go down that street before I reach them, essentially. And the moment they see that my blinker is on, they'll start rolling. You just see their wheels. They'll start rolling a little bit, make, kind of making sure a little bit that I'm definitely mean to put my signal on. And I'm not just having my right signal on like some people do, like they're going right all the way around the world. But they notice it goes on and they go, oh, all right, I can, I can pull out and go left here. Or I can pull out and go right here. And I don't have to worry about that car hitting me because I know that car's turning right. And there are those people who, regardless of whether you turn on your signal, they will wait until you complete your turn so that you're of absolutely no danger to them in any way. No risk at all of you hitting them because you've already turned right and now you're past them and then they can go. And I just wonder, what are they waiting for? Like, are, do they not first notice that the signal's on? Perhaps they don't trust that I actually mean it. Maybe they've been hit by cars before, and now they have this universal general practice of making sure the person already completes the turn. But that's incredibly inefficient for traffic. But I understand it, I guess, and it is their right. Like I said, this is stupid. But... But if I was behind that person at the stop sign and I could see that the car was signaling and I was in a hurry, I'd be like, dude. But I guess, I don't know. Like, Do they not notice that the car is slowing down with the signal on? Do they not notice that it's starting to angle toward the turn? I don't know if they see all that and still just are going to sit there or if they just don't see it. I honestly get the sense that most of the time when I'm communicating – or at least trying to be aware of the other driver inside the car. Like I'm aware that there is a driver inside the car, right? I swear some of these people are just staring at my headlights or the hood or the hood ornament. Like, you know, there's a person in there and together you're going to have to make a decision possibly at an intersection or at least get an idea of what the person intends by kind of the closer they get trying to look inside the car. And I just, I wonder about people who don't read those signs. Like, where else in their life don't they read those signs? Are they bumping into people on the street? I don't know. I don't know. It's weird. But, like I said, that was stupid. All right, I'm going to take a quick break before I get to lifey stuff because I'm going to talk for a while. Um, and in lifey stuff, I'm going to talk about signs that I know now that I'm counted as old. And I will be back with that after this brief message. Welcome back to Sam Walking in the World. That message was brought to you by my replacement bongo guy, my regular bongo guys on vacation. All right, I'm going to get right to lifey stuff. Um, and this had me cracking up. And I guess I guess I am coming to terms with the fact that I'm, I'm, I'm entering that old category. Like when they talk about demographics, oh, it worked with this group, it didn't work with that group. 
I am solidly now in the old group. Um, and so there's a couple of reasons. Uh, one is this. The television shows that I watch reg with regularity, like the cable news shows or the um, sitcoms or, uh, you know, whatever, one-hour dramas or whatever it is I'm watching, um, I notice that they are riddled with commercials for pharmaceutical products. And they tend to be the ones that treat conditions like dementia, arthritis, erectile dysfunction, sleep apnea. There's even a recurrent commercial for schizophrenia. I don't know if that's a if that comes on late in life or if it's got to do with being older that it just happens to be in there. But it's like, do you know what it's like to live with schizophrenia? I thought, no. Yes. No. Yes. <laughs> but I like to kid the schizophrenic. I shouldn't. That's in poor taste. I actually know one schizophrenic. He's able to laugh at himself. <laughs> anyway. Uh, one thing I noticed is I love how the brand names of pharmaceuticals are always some, like, linguistic twist on the purpose of the drug or the condition of the drug. Like... They want to send the message to you clearly, either what they know you have or how it will fix it, without coming right out and acknowledging and even, like, mocking the condition. Because I'm sure some of them are embarrassing. But they're not fooling anybody. The one that I'll say has acted with pretty good discipline is erectile dysfunction. Um, you got Viagra and you got Cialis. And neither one of those is that... Obvious. You know, I thought I would have thought for sure it would have been like erectile dysfunction, try bonerite. Constipated, you need bowelucina. Four out of five colorectal doctors recommend it over pupesian. <laughs> um, there's high blood pressure commercials. Ask, ask your doctor about widow saverin. But I guess it doesn't matter because you need the drug. And the fact that it's embarrassing to know you need it and have to buy a drug with a name like that is worth it because you're old. I'm old. And I guess I'm just happy that whatever the drug, I'm not being specific about which of those I actually use, but uh, that they're there. Life is a lot better. It's much easier to be old with all of these pharmaceuticals available, I guess. So I don't really, I don't hate the farm, big pharma like people talk about. I do wish the prices were lower, um, if it's possible within the market system. But I, I, it's so I just crack up watching the commercials. I'm kind of laughing at myself, I guess. But like, it's always like the handsome middle-aged man in the commercial doesn't even look remotely like he needs the drug. You know, like. Not like what I'm sure most of the target audience looks like. The guy, the guy in the commercial for like, say, like a blood pressure medicine, he looks like, he looks like his name should be like Grayson. He's so elegant. He's tall and fit. Looks like he's really got his stuff together. He's like coming out of the back deck with a colorful bowl of salad. He's gonna put it down on the picnic table. He's having lunch with his equally healthy wife. And, and his adult children and their grandkids. They all look 
like excellent people. Which I'm sure in some cases that is true to life. I mean, I know people like that. But in most cases, I picture like uh, a single guy in a t-shirt that doesn't cover his belly button, like pushing a wheelbarrow full of bacon out to his lawn couch. That to me seems like it's a little bit more accurate for most of the people who need the blood pressure medicine, of which I'm one. But since I've lost weight and I just recently went to the doctor, um, he's said, well, you know, if you keep this up, I think we might even be able to reduce this or even take you off this drug. I was getting nervous and I'm going to take you off something. It's kind of like the, the baggy pants principle. Once you've, once you've gotten to the point where you're happy with your life and everything is working well, they always like say, okay, now we're going to try all that without this. It was like when my wife wants me to wear smaller clothes because after I've lost weight, they would fit me better. But then they would feel tighter and I just lost all that weight so I could feel what it's like to be in baggy clothes. So I don't want to like take, stop taking the blood pressure medicine and now I can't eat any bacon. So I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, um, I am grateful that these products exist. So hooray for big pharma. Um, but it's funny too is that I want, I'm so glad that whatever it is out there that I might need as I age is available that I allow myself to completely ignore the astounding list of potentially damaging side effects that, that must have occurred during test trials that they must legally be required to name. At, the, at some point in the commercial. So like the distinguished older man needs to walk the full length of his like rustic carpentry workshop in order to fit all of the things in that might happen to you if you take this drug. Like headaches, diarrhea, um, the list goes on and on. Man, without fail, the list always ends with death. It's always like, the, it's like a throwaway at the end of all the other symptoms and possibly death. It barely phases me now, though. Like, I'm old. I'll sign your waiver. Just help me go to the bathroom without popping a blood vessel in my eye, and I'll buy your drug. Ugh. Okay. Second reason why I know I'm old. All my favorite movies are old. They always seem more recent to me in my mind because I guess I'm. I, I, there's this natural reluctance to acknowledge while it's happening the fact that you're aging. But there are these milestones, like the kind of these testimonies that you see that you go, oh, my God, that was when? And you can also notice it. Like, I used to think it was weird when I was, like, in my 20s. One of my teacher friends was, like, in his late 40s. And we would be going to – we'd be at his house hanging out, and he would have his TV on, and he would, like – he would be watching, like, reruns of, like uh, – Barney Miller, or even earlier than that. Like, I can't remember the show, the one with Opie. Um, not the Dick Van Dyke show. Anyway, you probably know what I'm talking about. And I would watch it because I had never seen it during its time. So I would see it as extremely dated. I would see, like, the humor not as funny and the canned laughter instead of the studio audience. And I would be like, why are you watching this? What could you possibly get out of this in terms of entertainment? And I now completely understand why he was watching them. Because that's what happens when I watch something that's old now, but that I watched while it was coming out, like Happy Days. Um, or Charles in Charge. 
But anyway, all my movies, especially movies, I like new movies too. I go to movies all the time. I'm a movie buff. Um, but most of my favorite, favorite movies, like, you know, my top 10, my top five, they're all old. So, like, one will come on, like, you know, one of the cable channels and I'll be watching it. I almost like watching movies on cable channels better than watching them on, like, my Google or Amazon because, because I, even though there's commercials, because I feel like it's kind of like everyone else is watching it too. I can like call my buddy Joe up and be like, hey, Joe, guess what's on TNT? He'd be like, oh, my God, I'm watching it too. I never make that phone call, though. But I don't know. I just get the sense that I'm part of a collective audience, and that I don't know why. Maybe you're like that. Maybe you're not. But uh, when I'm watching these movies, I'll notice things because I'm kind of more aware of my oldness. Um, like, for example... In the movies that are my favorite movies, there were there are no cell phones. Like it was before the invention, at least of the readily available, commonly used cell phone. And so it takes certain things out of movies now, since there are cell phones. Like very few instances where somebody's lost in the woods and they can't get a hold of anybody. Unless it's like, you know, they use it like, oh, I'm not getting any cell service. But that's so rare. Um, or like stranded with a flat tire in danger. You just make a phone call. Either a cop or the tow truck is there in like half an hour. Um, or like lost at sea. Uh, a boat goes down and they're floating in the ocean and they're like with their life preserver on like a mile and a half offshore. Shark infested waters. They can, Now they would probably just call 911 on their like eye watch. That's probably waterproof. So that's one thing. I also noticed the cinematography is extremely less digital than it is now. I think I was watching A Few Good Men, which is one of my all-time favorites. I think it's my favorite Tom Cruise role. And um, it was just grainier. Like the movement was not as, I guess, just digitized. And... I mean, obviously, when you watch horror movies, the special effects have come so far, it's not even worth discussing. But you can still appreciate them like Beetlejuice. You can still enjoy them like nostalgically because they were state-of-the-art at the time. Um, and they required better acting, like the Joker from the old Batman show. Was he creepy? Um, anyway, uh even kids now, like my my stepkids, they're in their 20s and they'll ask, early 20s, they'll ask, like, why is it so blurry? We're watching a movie. It's so blurry. And I'll be like, you know, once I start watching it, I don't notice that because I was watching it at the time once. And it's just a, a weird forgiveness, like a, a dispensation that you give movies that you that are old because you watch them when they first came out and it draws back all those memories like E.T. That were made now, which I think they should do. They should remake E.T. And Beetlejuice. Anyway, but I digress. Um, another thing is that the acting is much more subtle now. Acting continues to evolve, moving toward the way people actually interact. And that also requires better acting. There's so much more subtlety in the bad guy or the good guy. 
and and there's also some ambivalence like you know the good guy's got some bad qualities or the bad guy is a little bit you know sympathetic um back in the day it was like the bad guy announced himself in the first 15 minutes of the movie in a way that was so obvious that people who are used to watching movies just now almost appears clown-like but at the time, that was how you had to act in order to get your point across. Same thing with sitcoms. Like what was funny and clever then is so different than what's funny and clever now. Probably because it, I don't know if it matched the times. I don't know if we were always the way we are and it just took a while for acting to catch up to it. Or were we like that back then? Which I honestly can't believe that that's the case. Because when I watch TV movies, when I watch TV shows or movies from the 50s that I never saw first, at the time, it's like like the private eye is all like, I got the goods on you, see? You're going to the clink this time, you see? Like, I don't ever, I, I have to ask my parents if, like, back in the 50s, were you, were you like, I'd like a loaf of bread, see? I don't think so. But, anyway, I definitely see why people who are older like them, because I am old and I like them. I couldn't believe that I thought Arthur Fonzarelli was the height of cool. Like, would that stand up today? Like, no gang signs. He's just got the old thumbs up. That's cool. And I cut my teeth on Top Gun. I shudder to think that Top Gun came out, what's going on, 40 years ago. And Tom Cruise, that's another thing. Like, Tom Cruise looks awesome. Awesome now. Like, they're doing a remake of Top Gun, and, and, and he's going to be in it. And I swear to God, he must be taking, like, um, Eternal Euthium supplements or something. I guess that brings us back around to pharmaceuticals. But anyway, that's what I think about that and how I admit readily now that I'm an old person. Not that that's bad. I'm still active. Remember what I said last episode about old people doing athletics? All right. With that, I will take a break. And when I get back, I will get on to more serious things. Oh, thank you. Welcome back to Sam Walking in the World, episode 18. That message was brought to you by the guy thanking you for pressing one on your keypad or whatever reason. Moving on. Okay, school's coming back around the corner. And let me, hold on, let me teach your head on here for a second. Um, even though I'm not doing any kind of pompous lesson like I usually do, I'm just going to kind of share something with you about what it's like to teach middle school kids. Um, and school, school, school is coming back around and we're going to be wearing masks and it's bothersome. You know, it's just, it is, there's no way around it. The human connection is, uh, interfered with, um, because of a mask. But if there's any place where there might be an equal upside to wearing a mask and having kids wear masks, it is in the middle school classroom. Let me explain. So I teach middle schoolers by choice, which means I'm basically asking for it. So I, I'm not complaining. And it is kind of funny. But it can also end up being like, come on. But <clears throat> over my time, I have learned quite a bit about this species. species and, that, and middle schoolers are a different species. You could, you could call them homo outrageous. If you're not around them much, 
then let me educate you on one particular trait. Now, if you have them as children, then you already know this. But when there are many of them together, which doesn't happen as often um, in your own home, but when you have many of them together, this phenomenon occurs. Um, Middle schoolers have an irresistible, uncontainable urge to announce out loud Anything that they happen to smell upon entering a room, without fail. It's like, oh my God, it smells like paint in here. Why does it smell like rotten onions? Ugh, somebody burnt popcorn. And it's like incredibly specific. Did somebody eat honey glazed lamb chops and hoisin sauce? course those are just some made-up examples but you get the point and it is impossible for middle schoolers to repress the need to announce it it's like comic material goes it's like prepubescent gold there's no literally no greater social exhibition than being the first one to announce a fart apparently announcing a fart drives you straight up the social pecking order like you discovered a new planet. It's incredible. Somebody farted in here. Followed always by, by the obligatory trail of late arriving fart announcers. Who have to shout their own version of the fart. Put their own personal spin on the situation. Sounds like somebody went diarrhea. I didn't even know diarrhea emitted a different odor than poops of a more regular density. So we say. But they can tell. They're probably right, too. And then they'll ask each other if they can smell it. They'll all, like, literally, they'll stop in the tracks. Start taking these giant deliberate whiffs of what has already been announced to be a disgusting smell. And then they share their reactions with each other. I can't tell if they're complaining about it. I really can't. For the length of time they talk about it, it's almost like they're relishing it. And these are good students, too. These aren't kids that are, like, trying purposely to delay class from starting. Like these are kids that enjoy class, but this, for some reason, it is just an overwhelming urge that they can't control. I think what they actually want is for the fart to last a really long time. They almost, like, revel in it, luxuriate in the smell of fecal gas. It is nuts. It is every single time. And then, like, they'll fly into my classroom at the change of classes. Like, they'll come flying in in this state of pure joy because they want to share with you a fart that happened in the class before. They'll recreate the incident like it was a street fight. For my benefit. Oh, my God, Mr. C, someone farted so bad in social studies. You should have been there. Yes, I'm sure I would have enjoyed that 40 years ago. Which I probably would have. So I'm not blaming them. It's just a, a remarkable tendency. I swear, too, like, they're so acute. Like, their noses are like German shepherds. It's too bad bombs don't smell like farts. You could save all these dogs. Just bring in, like, a seventh grader. You'd be able to smell the bomb from, like, a mile and a half away. I don't know how they can stand themselves. 
actually. Like, in case you've not spent a great deal of time in a closed setting with middle school kids, their bodies ceaselessly pump out stenches all day. And then you couple that with their less than diligent hygiene practices. You think that I'll be needing to wear like air fresheners around their neck as like necklaces. Just to allow for there to be a different thought in their head than what they smell coming off their own body. It is, it is crazy. And I'm, I'm just thinking to myself as I'm getting ready to go back to school and the masks that we have to wear. I'm like, you know what? Maybe this is not all bad. So anyway, that's something that I really had to share with you. And there's no one else I'd rather teach. I've discovered. I've taught all ages. And, and I think these stinky little buggers are the best. And with that, I will move on. But I will take a quick break. Um, and then when I get back, I'm going to talk about uh, unequal distribution of wealth and the rise of what's being called democratic socialism, if such a thing can exist. I'll be right back. Yay! And welcome back once again to Sam Walking in the World. This is episode 18. The message was brought to you by a cartoon celebration of some kind. All right, getting on to the meat. I'm going to talk about the unequal distribution of wealth, which sounds like an awful thing. Unequal distribution of anything sounds like an awful thing. Unless it's something bad. In which case, I don't know if you'd want equal distribution of it. I don't know. Anyway, um, it got really popular. I remember, I'm, I'm old enough to remember, the Occupy Wall Street movement, which I, to my understanding was a protest against how there's such a high dis distribution of wealth, the disproportionate <clears throat> distribution of wealth among banks, big banks, wealthy people, investment houses. Um, and I feel like that kind of led to the rise of Bernie Sanders' popularity. Um, that's Sanders S apostrophe S because his name ends in an S. Oh, I did put my teacher hat on. I'm going to take it off right now. Okay. The rise of Bernie Sanders' campaign and, and his idea of democratic socialism. Now, that seems kind of a antithetical statement to me. Uh, because I'll explain why. But democratic socialism sounds like um, a dream. Because I'm not sure if socialism can coexist with freedom. And I'll get to all this, but perhaps socialism might be able to coexist with democracy, but communism can't. And I have a feeling from people I've talked, people I've heard talk about their experiences in communist countries. Um, they talk about how it, it, as socialism grew toward communism, freedom eroded. It had to. And I will get into that. So <clears throat> I guess to me, freedom to accrue wealth, while it can be uh, ostentatious and you can create any scenario where you would see a person who's starving and say, if only that person who has billions could give just some little bit of it to this person who's starving, the world would be a better place. And, I, and it would. And first of all, we don't know if they don't. <clears throat> and, and we also don't know whether or not 
money poured into that person has helped them or not. Maybe they've had money poured into them and it's leaked out, so to speak. But it really just feels like the poor people should get more of the wealth than the rich people, even if they're not working for it, just for the for, for humanity's sake. It just seems like such a noble thing to want. And, and I, I can completely understand that. But the freedom to accrue wealth, to me, is a lot like the freedom of speech. It has to stay totally free. Or else eventually we end up in a situation where who decides? Who decides who gets to have money and who doesn't? And so just like in, in terms of freedom of speech where my position is everyone should be allowed to say every, everything. Everyone should be free to say what they think as much as that might be <clears throat> stupid or extreme. Extreme, I think, is the best description of it because people who have billions of dollars are extremely wealthy. It is an extreme. And this system, capitalism, allows for, for those extremes to be run to. And as grotesque as it seems, just like it is grotesque to listen to someone say something that's completely disgusting, um, I think there isn't a better way to handle it than freedom. And so I'll explain a little bit more. Um, first of all, within the capitalist system, um, people take risks. It's not like it is always the same people who are rich and the same people who are poor. I'm sure there are portions, but the very top stay there and the very bottom stay there. But there's, there's such a thing as financial mobility. There are many people who are able to be poor or middle class and become wealthy and, and even become super rich, like the MyPillow guy. Um, but I heard a study that was talking about how we have the perception that most people that are rich were born rich, and it's not true. Um, I think that the study, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be exact here with the figures, but the the idea of it struck me is that most people who are rich were inherited less than one hundred thousand dollars from their parents, which is like usually like a house or something like that. But I think like it was like 80% of the people who are millionaires or above received less than $100,000 from the previous generation. Somehow they ended up building themselves up into a millionaire. I'm sure there are plenty of millionaires who lost it all. But it is a, a myth that most people that are rich were born rich. It is not the case. And, and capitalism is a system that allows that. Now, don't get me wrong. Capitalism has its failings, right? But it's just like democracy. Um, I forget who said it, but like you know, it, it is probably the worst system, except compared to all the others. The same is true of capitalism. Um, capitalism contains competition, and anyone who's ever been around competition or competed knows that competition tends to bring out the best in individuals and in groups. It's competition that drives companies to be more efficient. Why do they want to be more efficient? They want a larger percentage of the market. They want to sell their service or product or whatever it is. 
So their incentive, their natural selfish incentive is to provide all the rest of us with better and cheaper things. Without that incentive to, to become wealthy themselves, why would anyone do it? For the betterment of their brothers and sisters? That ends up happening, but that is not the initial mover, as, as some would suggest it should be in, in socialism or communism. Aside from just comparing our country to other countries that are communist, communist countries build walls to keep the people in. It's so great here, we have to build walls to keep people out. That's a separate topic, though. I don't want to get into it right now. But what I love about freedom, and, and I guess its manifestation in capitalism, is that there are natural forces, I guess... I guess the best way to say it is there are natural forces that harness the human spirit. The yearning to be great, to improve, and yes, to become wealthy. Right? Government-decided rules do not harness the human spirit. That is the horse. Everything else we get to enjoy about it is the cart. You can't love the cart so much that you put it in front of the horse. Because the horse is going to keep banging his head into the back of it, and the cart's not going to move. In my opinion. So why would why would anyone, if they had the choice, in a in a communist or socialist system, why why would they decide to be an entrepreneur? Why would they put any of their own assets at risk? Why would anyone go to medical school, for example? I'm sure it starts with the love of medicine. But the amount of work somebody has to do, commitment, time, energy, I have great respect for doctors. If for nothing else, the amount of work it took to become one. Why would anyone do that if when they got out, they made the same as a plumber? No offense to plumbers. And plumbers make pretty good money. But why would, it, why would a person, a prospective doctor, ever want to do that? And it's because they are seeking their own personal goals, their own personal, whatever you want to call it, greatness or wealth, as well as knowledge. <clears throat> but it's the reward, their personal reward that they seek. They, they end up affecting positively their fellow man. But I just wonder if they bother to do it all, if there wasn't the personal reward. I, I'm, I doubt that they would. I th they might study the same subject. They might enjoy the same subject. But I don't know if they would put in that many man hours or woman hours um, if they weren't going to be rewarded for it. So in order to have really high-quality doctors in, a, in an authoritarian system, they would have to be forced. Anybody's talents would have to be forced into use. And then the, the fruits of that labor would end up being determined by the state. Now, I, I don't want to conflate socialism with communism, but at the same time, I don't think they deserve to be disconnected completely. I'll explain that a little bit more. But any, any degree of government, any degree of government-imposed socialism, so let's just say socialism, like uh, communism light, where a large enough amount 
of the reward given to people who are pursuing personal incentive is taken by the state and redistributed because it's deemed to be unfair. For any degree of government-imposed socialism to have a chance of working, it would end up needing to be to the nth degree. What do I mean by that? It means doctors would stop working. It means people that might be able to invent something like cell phones or innovate something like cell phones. They would be disincentivized and, and their knowledge and skill and talent would have to be coerced or forced. And, and I just feel like eventually in order for that, that psychology to work, that philosophy to work, it ends up having to become communism. And eventually you got to put walls up to keep people from getting out, to get to a place where they might be personally rewarded. And I just even look at Bernie Sanders. He, he's, he's got three houses. I feel like at any time, if he believes what he says, at any time, I should be able to bump into him in the street and say, um, I only have $14 in my wallet. How much do you have? Oh, I have 200 Okay, I need you to give me 100 of it because I have less than you. I just don't feel like he'd be inclined to do that. I think his his theories exist in a very, um, let's say, uh, optimistic, um, altruistic, theoretical context. Because when it gets into action, it ends up not being what it was promised to be. And you have people that come from Cuba that say that. That say literally that these are these are false promises, and eventually it ends up having to be uh, managed by a gun. You know, the, these people they come from Cuba, and I hear celebrities talk about how wonderful Cuba is. I'll get to that in a minute, but um, they come from Cuba through shark-infested waters to get away knowing that they might die on the way, but it's just not worth it to stay where they are and live that way. That's not harnessing the human spirit. That human spirit is what makes them leave, what makes them risk getting to a place where they might be able to pursue what has come to be known as the American dream, which is being able to gain personal reward for your work. I just hope that we never forget that. Why they come here, and and just at, at the same time, I think we need a regulated immigration, right? Because we're a giant, really, really powerful magnet, and we we don't have the capacity to to attract every to allow everything in that is attracted. I mean, that'd be nice too. And I, I I'm I'm way open to finding ways to make sure as many people as possible can come here for the American dream. We don't we don't I don't believe we ethically have the right to keep it to ourselves. I mean, it's possible anywhere, though. Anyone can do it in a country if they establish the kind of government that allows it. So, yes, there are extremes, and wealth is accrued in excess. And as much as I would like for that not to exist, which I'm not even sure I would like it not to exist, but I don't lament rich people. I don't, I don't look at their castles and say, you took what I don't have. Um, I, but 
even if I did wish that, and I wish that everyone's wealth could be more moderate, that extreme wealth is a necessary evil of freedom. If it's even an evil, but it's a necessary side effect of freedom. Just like extremes in speech are, are, are needed to be tolerated because they are a necessary side effect of the, of the important thing, which is the freedom, the engine, the horse, the spirit. Um, I feel like I'm giving a stump speech for democracy and capitalism, but you know what? I guess I am. And so, because, and, and just like if they could regulate how much wealth someone could accrue in the same vein, they would probably end up having to regulate how much speech someone can have because eventually the human spirit's going to come out and someone's going to speak against it. You got to shut them up because it would, it would resonate with people who are on the other side of the communist gun, the barrel side. And just like they might come for your speech, eventually they may come for your money. You know, you never know when you might hit it big. Are you then going to want to share your wealth? Arbitrarily? And this is what gets me. Some of the loudest voices against wealth are rich people. It must be some kind of like psychological detachment that Hollywood actors have. It might be the same mechanism that allows them to play their roles so well. Like that line between reality and fantasy gets so blurred that they can just kind of slide over it and back whenever they want. Which ends up being a, a very lucrative talent. Especially in a capitalist system. Which I hope is not lost on them. That's what they're in. And so it just, I hear, when I hear celebrities, especially actors, wealthy, wealthy actors speak out about how, what's wrong with America and they talk about an unequal distribution of wealth, I want to say, you know what, give me some of your money. I mean, I wouldn't ordinarily ask for it. I think they're entitled to have it. But if they're going to be the ones telling me, a middle class teacher, that I have to give more money to people less fortunate than me, they're all walking hypocrisies. Well, the funniest part about it is that some of them are even spokespeople for banks. You remember Samuel L. Jackson was railing against the capitalist system and how, how, you know, we have this terrible wealth gap and he's, he is being paid by Capital One of all banks with all names, Capital One. What's in your wallet? Hell of a lot less than what's in yours. So why don't you give me some of it? And then again, I'm not complaining that there are rich people. I'm complaining that there are rich people who complain about rich people. So I feel like that's known by most people. And when this socialist kind of bubbling starts to percolate, it just it never really gets enough energy to make it to the top of the pan. You know, eventually... Either the heat gets turned down or someone seals it up really good till it dissipates. Because most people understand that that is what makes America work. Freedom. Freedom in our elections, freedom in our speech, and yes, freedom in our wealth. I've gone on too long about that, but boy, that felt good. So that, it comes, that brings me to the end of episode 18. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed sharing it with you. I hope, you, I hope to see you again soon. Hopefully tomorrow.